You're listening to We Need to Talk About Infosec. I'm your host Laura, and in this show we get to the bottom of information security. The big question is, how broken is our world, and what can we do to fix it? I have a vision that we can only make this world better by first taking it apart. Let's get started. Today I want to talk about something more serious. There is an underground ecosystem where people trade our sensitive data. All of this mostly happens without our knowledge. However, there are people with insight on how these kinds of businesses operate. My friend Shamil Alifov is one of those people. Today we want to shed some light on these places. So, welcome Shamil. Thanks Laura. It's a pleasure to be here and uh Cheers and thanks for amazing work that you're doing. Thank you. For developing the the security community in Finland and I would say even beyond. So Okay, thank you. And and same goes to you naturally with Turku Sec and like all the city secs have have started from Turku. So how, how does it feel to be like part of this kind of community? Um it feels quite quite nice, I would believe. I would say Because uh, when I started it, it was what 2016 May. I I was fan of the CitySec uh, uh, meetups in the US. I was thinking like it's really cool that people are coming together and they have some presentations and then they're just going into beers. And I wanted to do something similar, so I started the uh, Turkusec was amazed that uh, 30 plus people came to the first uh, meetup and it's uh, without any exposure because I didn't know pretty much anybody in security field like yeah Mikko Hüppen and I knew him <laughs> everybody knows him right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, otherwise I didn't have any uh, connection to the community yes all right so Shamil can you tell me a little bit about yourself like of your background Oh, where to start? I was born in Soviet Union. Okay. <laughs> It was long ago. <laughs> well, it's well, not that long ago when, when Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then uh, after a couple of years, uh, the, my country got independence. And after one year of after that, the USSR collapsed. So I became the citizen of Azerbaijan. Now I'm doxing myself here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's your home address? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, uh, I, I came to Finland, uh, when was it? In 2011 to study my master's degree in uh, data security and cryptography. I graduated from the mathematical department of Tokyo University. Mm. Before that, I did... Um, Uh, bachelor's degree, Bachelor of Science in Applied Mathematics back in my country. And full disclosure, it was my dad's idea. <laughs> Seriously, I was super interested in biology. Yeah. But then my dad says to me, like, look, Shamil, you have only two ways, either applied mathematics or informatics. So I went into the applied mathematics. Because, okay. yeah, if the dad says, then, yeah. <laughs> What There's can I no do? Arguing that? No, no, it's a cultural thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, do you feel like you, in the end, chose the right path, or do you still dream um, about biology? I fell in love. Uh, I, I wasn't that good in mathematics, unfortunately. Mm. Probably because pff, too lazy. 
or maybe not enough noodles in my brain. But uh, <laughs> but I but I fell in love actually with the security and, and uh, I like it. It's interests me. Mm. I mean, okay, in biology nowadays I don't know much stuff, but uh, in security I'm always learning and uh, always coming up with something interesting and uh, um, it's it's nice feeling. It's kind of a double feeling. From one side, it's depressive because mm. you cannot really learn everything. You can't be 100% uh, knowledgeable in anything in security because mm. it's branched out too much. Yeah. Like, I don't know, cryptographer wouldn't know everything in forensics, for example, in digital forensics and vice versa. But yeah, I like it. I am really glad that uh, my dad sent me to applied mathematics <laughs> and I ended up in, in the in Turkey University. And yeah. here comes a funny story. Okay. Yes. So what <laughs> happened with me? Yeah. Um after my bachelor's degree I went to serve in army one year because it's mandatory. Yeah. And then I uh, applied for four universities in Europe because my cousin applied for the uh, university and he got as- accepted in Germany. And I was at the time in the army. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the same. I can do that. I can do that. Um, so I applied to multiple um, universities in Europe, uh, two in Finland. And one of them was Turku University. I applied for the network securities uh, in in Turku University. Because okay. I knew that there were like two tracks, cryptography and the network security. And I knew that in network security, there will be not much mathematics. Yeah. And I knew cryptography is all based on the number theory and I'm not up to it. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Well. Turku University is accepting me. Yeah. And then they're writing like, because of your mathematical back- background, duh, applied <laughs> mathematics, we are changing you from network security to cryptography. What? They can do that? <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah. <laughs> really? And it's not co- your, like, that sounds like it's your choice. Like, you either choose well, to go uh, to <clears throat> network b- stuff. Being or... from a country which is uh, for ages is a dictatorship. And uh, yeah, I'm like, okay, whatever university <laughs> says. <laughs> I have no choice. <laughs> all right, great leader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No disputing at all. <laughs> okay. So I went to cryptography. It took a while to finish the, the degree because it was the first time in Europe for me. Mm-hmm. And it was like so much freedom. I immediately joined Amnesty International and started doing the activist stuff mm-hmm. and a bunch of other associations. So yeah. And in the end, I managed to finish the degree. Okay. So what are you doing nowadays then? Oh, there's a more story. <laughs> okay. I'm <laughs> yeah. all ears. Um, after my master's degree, I ended up working as a cleaner. Okay. And the reason was um, not enough skills, practical skills. Hmm. I would apply to jobs in security, even into the junior positions. And everybody was saying like, in a in a way, you know, I'm making the air quotes like, yeah, yeah. cool that uh, you know about the elliptic curves and you have taken this algebraic structures in cryptography. Very cool. <gasps> but show us what you can do. And I was realizing like, I have no idea what to do mm. in a practical uh, manner. Yeah. I was very bad in uh, coding. I didn't know much. Everything, all my knowledge was theoretical. Mm. And uh, and I decided to go to to earn a bit of money and I end up in the cleaning business. Okay. Which was quite good, I should say. I call it physical security <laughs> nowadays. Physical security. Yeah, indeed. Because um, 
I've discovered so many passwords under the keyboards when I was cleaning the tables <laughs> in the various places, stores or some offices. Yeah. I would always think uh, how I could screw up the company mm. as being insider, as a cleaner. Yeah. I would notice when people are going to launch, uh, which uh, exits they're using more or... Just kind of, yeah, uh, kind of thinking sp- always like as a criminal. Yeah, spot vulnerabilities in there. Absolutely. In a sense. Like, for example, there was a time when I was working in a, um, a factory in near Turku, Oboland. Um, I would notice, for example, there was this gate for the forklifts and there would be a door for the employees to open it. And you need to put yours, this magnetic key to open it. But why to use it? If you can just come inside from the forklift <laughs> gateway, yeah, <laughs> it was that easy. <laughs> and then there was this engineering control room, which they had this all this human machine interfaces that they would monitor this industrial control systems, like yeah. program program logical controllers or whatever it's called, PLCs. Yeah, uh, I would imagine by the policies you are not allowed to leave that room at all. Mm. Like, leave it empty. But quite often, engineers would just go all together to the to to have a lunch. Yeah. And I would be alone cleaning that room. If I would be malicious, I could have some USB and which passed me from their competitors and plug it in. Yeah. So, just kind of stories. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, because when you think of these kind of insider threats, like, that is a very valid threat that you should never forget about, even with your own employees and cleaners and whatnot. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think people easily overlook that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, they immediately trust, okay, the cleaner, probably cleaner doesn't know much, mm. doesn't have a knowledge, you know, just know the cleaner that. just cleans the stuff. Yeah, but they didn't know that you're a cryptographic <laughs> expert. <laughs> Um, so what happened after <coughs> this uh, physical security stuff? Yeah, after physical security stuff, I started working for a company called uh, Kinkayo. Nowadays, it's called Cyber Intelligence House. Uh, it's based in Singapore. And um, I'm working as the lead intelligence analyst and uh, head of data acquisition. Uh, what our company does is, uh, yeah, we are just gathering a lot of information. We are monitoring uh, deep and dark web. Sorry for the marketing words. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, cool. yeah, that's how it is. Uh, yeah, what I feel good about uh, our company is uh, there's not much BS mm. yeah, regarding the deep and dark web. So it's not that scary. Yeah. Yeah. We basically gather uh, everything related to illegal activities. Uh, that might be data breaches, that might be um, hacker group targeting, financial breaches, and uh, um, releases of personal information or sensitive information. Yeah. And um, that's, uh, that's a value that we provide to our customers that we can say, okay, this is your exposure yeah. to the places. Yeah. So what do you do is that you go on like using Tor or other like similar kind of tools and do you do like some kind of automatic scanning or do you do everything manually? Uh, well, I love doing manually stuff because uh, I really like being on the forums and interacting with people, well, with criminals because mm-hmm. they're also people and uh, you can learn quite a lot from them. Yeah. 
for example, if you have some kind of a, a credit card, how to cash out, yeah, all kind of techniques, and uh, some of them are clever ones. We could talk about that as well. Um, and um, but we do automatic scanning. Yeah. We just gather everything. We are basically crawling everything what we can. And uh, when it comes to my other title of uh, data acquisition, that means that I need to find the new sources of intelligence, mm. be it uh, RSC chats, be it uh, Telegram channels or ICQ groups or uh, new forums, marketplaces, uh, basically from all kinds of sources from where we can get uh, valuable information and uh, gather intel. Yeah. Well, you brought up the term deep web and the dark web. Like, I'm sorry for that, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, w- what's your definition for those? Mm, I, I'm not sure, actually, to be, to be frank. For me, deep web would be probably some uh, places uh, like forums in the, in the clear net. Uh, dark web would be the forums and marketplaces or resources on the on the Tor networks or I2P networks or whatever you have. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure about the exact definitions, and I believe that there are uh, multiple interpretations of those terms. Yeah, yeah, I think like for me, how I like interpret like this dark web is that you use your Tor browser to access these websites that are not uh, accessible with like the basic, uh, like there's no D- no DNS resolves those yeah. addresses. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, like I feel, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like it is very, like in the media, it is very like, it's made to be this woo dark place and like very like mysterious, but it's just, you know. I totally agree with you. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's maybe creating the FUD, what's called fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, it's a technique that who the like recently I've seen some kind of a uh, advertisement of uh, yet another s- startup. I guess it was saying that we are using AI to uh, discover cyber attacks from dark web. Oh, I was like, okay, this is just quantum technologies and then the blockchain and drones are missing from that <laughs> sentence. But otherwise, oh boy. Yes, it's it's not really that bad. I mean, like, yes, Tor uh, definitely provides more anonymity and a lot of uh, uh, forums and the marketplaces where you can buy illegal goods. But there are also some usual stuff. And... Um, I would say that probably at least for cardings there would be more forums and uh, and uh, the so-called dump or auto buy shops in the clearnet rather than on the on the tour networks. Yeah, you mentioned carding. What's what's that? Uh, it's basically stealing the cards and then uh, trying to use them to get the money or uh, goods. So basically, it's a financial fraud. Okay. Yeah. So is it like from a data uh, breach that people's credit cards have mm. been dumped somewhere, or like how how do people find these cards? Um, yeah, there might be data breaches, absolutely. Then uh, those uh, credit card values or the tracks that they contain, uh, they can be skimmed using the skimmer devices. Uh, it might be so that uh, uh, POC. 
uh, terminals are infected by malware. They're just sniffing everything that people are paying. Mm. And lately, there were news, probably for the last maybe four or five months, there was this news about the mage card basically injecting uh, malicious JavaScript to sniff the, the credit card uh, data. Yeah, on the website. On the website. Yeah. For example, uh, British Airways was affected by it. Yeah. I think it was 380,000 of affected people. So that's how it happens. And then, of course, those, uh, um, uh, those credit card details are ending up in the forums or on the shops. So there's this thing you call the auto buy shop or the dump shop mm. that the fraudsters would publish the credit card details and you can just buy it one click away. Yeah. And speaking of one click away, I today um, I reviewed the Joker stash. It's one of the biggest uh, credit card selling place. Yeah. Um, they have added a new uh, um, a new base of the credit cards. So base, uh, what they refer by saying base, uh, base is basically a um, collection of the credit card details. Yeah. It can be from specific merchant, from some specific shop, or it can be just a mixture. So the, when I uh, reviewed it, it was uh, e- EU Mix 74 and it was uploaded on 8th of March. Yeah. And it contained uh, five Finnish credit cards. Oh. And the prices, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was something like uh, from $175 to 260 Okay. Well, that's not too expensive then. Yeah, of course, the, the prices depends on the... Uh, on the item itself, how fresh it is, yeah, definitely. The valid rate, which means, the, for example, if the uh, vendor saying that the, of the British cards says that okay, the uh, the valid rate of cards is eighty percent, that mm. means that the person who is buying uh, ten cards, he can expect or she can expect uh, two out of ten would be not working. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, definitely the price depends on the what kind of data is included. Mm. It can uh, be more expensive if it includes, for example, mother's maiden name, address, um, phone number, email, and all kind of other personal information. Or, okay. for example, quite often I see that um, they're sharing also uh, browser user agents. Yeah. Uh, together with the dump because you need to impersonate the person. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you need to put the correct header in order to look like them. Exactly, yes. Yes. Otherwise, the the websites would flag you as a a fraudster or as a malicious actor. That's quite crazy, like how much data is actually being sold then because I always talk about like, yeah, like data breaches, like, yeah, this kind of stuff, it may end up being sold somewhere, but that there is actually like a marketplace for that. And it's, it apparently like there's a, like hundreds of dollars being paid for these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at least when it comes to the Finnish cars that I've seen, the pr- price range is from $10 till uh, probably $300 yeah. per item. 
of course it depends like how fresh it is as i told yeah and what kind of other data is included uh yeah together with the and of course it depends on the pin codes yeah pin refers to bank identification number oh okay yeah for example uh people uh, uh criminals are asking or exchanging or selling the bin numbers mm-hmm. uh of the credit cards that have contactless payments yeah and imagine if it's a contactless payment mm-hmm. you have a bin yeah. and in those shops you can actually order uh credit cards only by the bin numbers or bin codes mm-hmm. and then you would uh enter that to your uh Google payment or Apple payment and yeah. then just go to the shops and buy the goods f- It's just contactless with a phone. Just swipe it. Yeah. And of course, uh, mostly like uh, probably twenty-five euros in Finland. Yeah. Um, for contactless. Yeah. And it's perfect. You can buy the gift cards, mm. like Spotify, for example, or PaySafe or Google, and then you take this one and you resell it. Yeah. So, so you can kind of like uh, do money laundering there. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's quite scary. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and of course, uh, in in EU at least, uh, probably in Finland, it it works better with the with the security of the in the banking industry, in the financial industry, and there's a uh, quite uh, uh, chargebacks. For example, if there's a uh, if a person notices that there's some kind of a fraudulent activity on his credit card, there's like paying for porn sites that he didn't. Mm access or didn't pay for it that person can ask the bank to to return the money back charge yeah. back yeah but isn't that easier always to do with a credit card like if you're using your debit card it's hard to get the like money back from those yeah and uh, that's why they also uh, the criminals also trying to target the the banks or entities that have a longer chargeback period yeah. So it's not immediate. Yeah. They will get their money. Yeah. And then, okay. Yeah, then they, they don't, don't care, care what exactly because yeah. they got what they need. Yeah. Well, we were we were now discussing the like credit cards and like that is like like that's apparently like a very huge value for uh criminals who want to sell them. But what kind of like let's say you are doing your assessment for work, like what kind of data are you typically looking for? Mm, I would look mostly on the data breaches if the customers are affected by any data breaches. Um, I would look uh, what kind of uh, exposures they have on the uh, on the dark web or deep web, or maybe even on the social media. For example, uh, hacktivists are using Twitter to to publish their campaigns. Yeah. And uh, what recently was uh, Op Sudan Operation Sudan, and they dropped the uh, the database of the uh, Sudanese Airways, so it's out there, and it was uh, published on Twitter. Yeah. So we also tracked the uh, actors on the social media. Yeah. To know what they're doing. Yeah. So it can be basically anything. Like someone is trying to sell an exploit that can be used for this 
like specific customer environment or like data that is being linked yeah, or absolutely or for example uh, if the if the customer has an intellectual property maybe some software right mm. uh, I would see if uh, any cracked version of those mm. softwares available and if they are shared for free or are they shared uh, for a price yeah or uh, maybe there's um, some kind of vulnerability or uh, somebody's selling shell access to that company's yeah. uh, systems. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely grab it and report it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what what typically happens then? Like, let's say you found like a database dumped somewhere, uh, either in Twitter or in the like Tor network. Uh, you report that to the customer, then what, what happens next? Do the customers typically uh, go public with that knowledge? Mm, in my experience it has been always the third parties yeah that the employees have used their uh, email addresses work email addresses to register on the third party services that are not related to the business like i would find the email addresses and the passwords that the employees registered on some uh, adult content website yeah. using the work email which is i mean not cool yeah that's not <laughs> best practice <laughs> yeah it's not best practice of course and we would report everything and of course then uh, uh, then the company knows okay what's going on they would check the if the email address is valid at the moment or not if the employee works mm. at the moment in the company and they would um, take uh, precautions for example they can uh, uh, organize the security awareness trainings and then uh, and introduce the better password policies because uh, yeah in the workplace you say that yeah you need to use a better passwords but what about the, your personal life mm. so if I use my own personal email address uh, to register on LinkedIn right mm. if I'm getting breached then the person who breached my LinkedIn account took over the account can reach my colleagues yeah and my colleagues will trust if I send some PDF or something like that yeah yeah, right? yeah. yeah absolutely like there's and I think like the top go-to way of like these uh attackers getting into the systems is through breach credentials like they yeah. find or like someone is using a weak password and then they get the like the initial step in in the system absolutely because um, people uh, tend to reuse the passwords mm. even if they're not reusing passwords but they're um, repeating the pattern how mm. they make the passwords for example it would be password 01 Next password will be password 02. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you're doing this kind of stuff, and, and yeah, you also said that you ha- have these like multiple personalities and you're never being yourself. But how do you keep this level of operational security or OPSEC? Like, how, how do you not do any mistakes yourself? Or are you afraid of doing mistakes? I'm really afraid of doing mistakes, to be honest. And I hope my OPSEC is good enough. So um, I use the different email addresses to register in different places. Sometimes, of course, I use the same email address to different places only because I have built the character. Yeah. So that character has some kind of reputation. That character has some kind of knowledge. It's like RPG game. You build the character. Yeah. 
if you have a good reputation, if you have a good characters, then you will get access to uh, more places. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The NPCs will talk to you more. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. So. <laughs> well, you then spend a lot of time, like, uh, in in the Tor network. How does it affect your worldview? I became probably a bit more cynical, so <laughs> making too many jokes, <laughs> probably inappropriate jokes. <laughs> <laughs> But generally, generally, not much change because it's. Human nature is the same. When it comes to the trading or selling of data breaches of carding information or whatever, it's it's. Before I used to think it's something magical, but uh, after actually being in the in the environment, I understood it's the same rules of economy applies. Yeah, it's the same supply and demand, and uh, same goes for the reputations of the the sellers because yeah. you wouldn't go and buy from the. If you use, for example, Amazon or eBay, mm. you wouldn't buy from the person who have a low reviews mm. or doesn't have a review. A new guy, you don't know, and that's why you would go to the reputable sellers. It's the same, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, not a big change. Yeah. I would say it's just the, maybe the things that are being sold, like you don't probably find credit cards on Amazon. Um, no, probably on eBay you can find something. Yeah, actually, I was reading about a really nice uh, um, scheme of cashing out, getting money mm. from eBay. So basically, you would uh, post uh, not you, but that person, mm. uh, fraudster, would uh, who has uh, somebody else credit card. He would post an item on auction on eBay. People would start uh, putting the money on it, bets and stuff. And then uh, the highest bidder would win. And what this froster does, mm -hmm. he just actually buys with the stolen credit cards that item which he was advertising, <laughs> would ship it to the person who with a higher bid, yeah, and get the money. So the only victim would be actually whose uh, credit card was stolen, yeah, because the um, froster got his money, yeah. the other guy got his product. And aside from where that uh, fraudster bought, they got their money because, yeah, I've seen the schemes related to that. But uh, for the services, yeah. uh, with uh, for example translations or graphic design, so okay, exactly the same. It's I think it has a this fancy uh, name, uh, triangulation fraud or something like that okay. because it includes like three kind of nodes. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's like that's more complex than just you know getting the credit card and and buying the buying the credit card and and then running with away with the money. Yeah, and then uh, you cannot actually do immediately that. For example, if a person has a stolen credit card, um, as a normal user, you would just just visit some items and go around of the site buying some latest iPhone shipping to yourself yeah. it's a clear red flag okay and Amazon will uh, definitely flag it and you will burn your credit card mm. so that's why in the in the tutorials that they're sharing yeah um, on the ground they're saying that okay spend at least couple of days on the Amazon and never go for the too expensive stuff. And that's all. And of course, the, if you cannot actually uh, deliver, uh, get that item delivered to yourself, you would hire somebody from the 
uh, that country to get those items. Yeah. And that person will sell it and uh, send you some part of the money. So basically using the mules. Yeah. For example, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm managing the, the Facebook group quite big. I think it's like 12,000 people at the moment. Yeah. Play market. Yeah. Sometimes I see people posting quite a new items like new phones mm. i mean I, I do trust people generally yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always i'm seeing like huh i mean this person is selling the really new item like a phone and it's cheaper than in the gigante or verka kalpa yeah. it, it might be case that uh, it's just mulling the stuff and yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely like i think especially when you are a person like you like in your shoes i think you grow to be quite skeptical of that kind of thing <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> yeah like yeah there's no free iphones <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly what do you think about the future will like do you think that a because you you talk that this is like people are practically doing their business but they're just the things they sell are definitely are not something that they should be selling so do you think that this trend will keep on going like people will keep selling credit card details or other personal information i believe yes i mean if you take uh, into as an example smuggling across the border so we have smuggling across the border from the time when we had the borders mm. whatever it is like between the kingdoms or tribes I don't think it's going away somewhere. Yeah. Of course, the methods will change maybe, uh, but uh, there will always be clever ways to beat the system. And uh, also like um, coming to supply and demand. And uh, I'm just was re- I was uh, reading the Brian Krebs book called Spam Nation. Yeah. Where he considers about uh, this uh, online pharmacy. Yeah. Spam. He was saying like. Why would people buy actually uh, drugs that are coming in the spam, right? It's so dangerous. Yeah. But then it turns out he's uh, uh, he was uh, interviewing people. It turns out that uh, people don't have money. He was mostly interviewing the U.S. citizens. Yeah. That people don't have money to to have insurance, proper insurance. They don't have money to go to the doctor to get a prescription, which will cost like really a lot of bucks in the official pharmacies. Yeah. And that's why when they get the spam that advertises. Yeah, it's like a miracle. Yeah, it's like, okay, if I spend for one pill 200 euros, for the same 200 euros, I can get like, a I don't know, 20 pills of some drug or medicine. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, supply and demand. Yeah. And of course, those frost, fraudsters, the spammers or online pharmacies, they do care about the good reputation. Yeah. Because they will lose the money. Yeah. So when it comes to, for example, these kind of spams, I assume that they, if they buy stuff through like those links or going th- to those stores, they still get the correct medication or or is that but of course the, there were quite a lot of cases of getting the wrong ones or just um, wrong not only wrong medicine but medicine that contains something else yeah. which is damaging the health but generally at least according to the Brian Krebs research and investigations people were buying because yeah they cannot afford actually the 
the official ways yeah. of dealing with the medicine. Yeah. So I suppose the reality is that these kind of breaches happen and this data goes out there and ends up in these uh, marketplaces. Do you have any idea or any you know vision on how this thing could be improved that this like this data wouldn't end up in the hands of these people? That's a good question and I guess it's uh, quite broad and might be over my head but I have probably a couple points that I can add. Yeah. Uh, now, how generally breaches happened, uh, they can be divided into two uh, categories, intended or unintended. Um, for unintended, it would be, for example, uh, misconfigured uh, uh, clouds or MongoDB instances, Amazon S3 buckets. It happens all the time. How we can prevent it? I mean, just perform the web asset uh, assets discovery. Yeah. Find out what's the document, everything, and mm. actually put some uh, security into that. Um, f- f- lately, if, uh, Bob Diachinko was finding um, quite a lot of uh, misconfigured uh, databases. Uh, I think his latest discovery is around uh, 800 millions of. Uh, 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 records which include uh, email addresses and some kind of uh, personal identifiable information might be I'm not sure at the moment but probably some phone numbers and uh, 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 there were some links to the LinkedIn profiles and such so he just discovered the misconfigured MongoDB instance Yeah, this kind of stuff happens a lot um, so you should just do some kind of security assessment or, you know, just be aware of what you're exposing out there as a company. Exactly. And uh, know your assets, what you actually own, and uh, check the security policies. Yeah. That would be quite a nice step. <laughs> yeah. Or another example would be uh, theft or uh, uh, loss of the equipment, laptops. Yeah, so or this storages. is like the, uh, intended. Or... Uh, that might be theft would be intended, and uh, loss of the devices would be unintended. Uh, you cannot control it, let's say. Yeah. But what you can do is uh, you can add uh, encryption. Yeah. My probably my most favorite uh, example of the uh, unintended uh, or uh, loss of the device is uh, is from the 2017. Uh, an affected entity is Heathrow Airport in London. So the story goes in a way that uh, there was this guy in West London, unemployed, he was going to a library, and he discovered a USB stick, right? Mm. What you do when you discover a USB stick on the ground? You plug it in. Yeah, well, absolutely, <laughs> as fast absolutely, as you can. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So this guy goes and plugs in, and it discovers that the USB stick contains quite the juicy data such as a schedule when the queen passes near the Heathrow airport, uh, schedules and positions of uh, uh, cameras, CCTVs, security cameras, uh, the guards, and all kind of stuff. And nobody bothered, like, clearly somebody lost it. Somebody from the security service uh, lost it, the USB stick, but nobody bothered to encrypt it. Yeah. 
So yeah, so if they had just applied encryption on that, exactly. then it would have like, or it it had been an encrypted I USB mean, drive. We can definitely go into the nihilistic, uh, paranoid uh, discussions that uh, we are everything is broken actually, and you can't do anything. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm not that paranoid or, <laughs> or pessimistic. Yeah. Yes, if the nation states uh, targets you, yes, you're screwed definitely. But you can do something to make the the lives harder for the malicious actors at least to encrypt yeah mm, if i'm not mistaken i'm just pulling the numbers from my mind doesn't mean that they're uh, wrong but people <laughs> trust the <laughs> numbers right <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, i think gemalto was uh, or gemalto rather they were claiming that only four percent of all the breaches that happened were uh, encrypted Yeah. That they use some kind of encryptions, be it the uh, hashing of passwords or uh, encrypting the laptops. So it's a it's quite a low number for yeah. percent. Absolutely. And uh, we can do a bit better. Yeah. We can uh, add a layer of security to everything. Yeah. All right. This was a really interesting discussion, and we are about to close this episode with. One last pop quiz. Do you have your favorite data breach that led to something good happening? <laughs> well, uh, my favorite data breach is the one which didn't happen. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Uh, yep. Okay. <laughs> But generally, um, well, when, when I started working, if I would... Get uh, see some breach which was like maybe ten thousand records. I would be like, wow, that's so much. But nowadays, since I'm seeing so many of them, if it's below one million, uh, it doesn't really surprises me. I'm like, meh, it's okay. When you think about this, like from a civilian point of view, you get to read about your data. For example, I've been in, uh, informed by companies that okay, my data was breached. No, I'm like okay, well, there it goes <laughs> somewhere. But yep. it never like truly maybe dawned to me like to what extent it can be, and and maybe what also what's the price tag on my information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to prices, um. It's you need to discuss with the sellers. Yeah. Let's say, of course, there's a marketplaces where they sell the data breaches uh, on the Tor networks. There are a lot of uh, breaches that they sell. It's all public. They're still selling LinkedIn.com breach yeah. for ten dollars or something. Yeah, that, that happened in 2013. Yeah, well, it happened initially in 2012 yeah. in June, but it. First, they reported that only six million were affected, if I'm not mistaken, and then in 2016, yeah, uh, yeah, they reported that okay, there's like more affected. Basically, the whole everybody who registered before 2012 uh, in that breach, including myself. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy that it's still valuable to someone. Uh yeah, because there are people who would uh, who don't have time to go and search for those breaches themselves. Mm. They would rather they have money, they would rather just buy it. Yeah. Because it's easier than to deal to Google stuff and uh, Okay. Well, I think 
with these thoughts, uh, we can end the episode. So thank you so much, Shamil, for Thanks sharing this with me. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to our episode. So how does this make you feel? Let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter at TalkAboutSec. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>